0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Second Samuel and chapter number 20. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 20. We are now getting into our last couple messages left over in the life and ministry of David. Just a few more as we start wrapping up the end of David's life and the aftermath. Chapter 20 is going to be the end of the chronological order. Chapter 21 through chapter 24 is going to be dealing with uh, events that are not in chronological order that just didn't fit within the narrative and so they'll be bouncing all over the place. But for us, as we hit this chapter here, we hit the wrap up of one of the worst periods in David's life which would be the rebellion of Absalom. As the fallout has occurred, David has finally made his way back to Jerusalem. But unfortunately, things did not stop. But people took advantage of this chaos, and we'll see this here in the book of Second Samuel in chapter number 20. So if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and look with me in the book of Second Samuel chapter 20. And let's pick it up in verse number 1. Second <coughs> Samuel chapter 20 in verse 1, the Bible says this, And there happened to be a man of Belial, whose name was Sheba, the son of Bertra, a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet and said, We have no part in David, neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tent, O Israel." So every man of Israel went up from after David and followed Sheba the son of Bertrah. But the men of Judah clave unto their king from Jordan even to Jerusalem. And David came to his house at Jerusalem. And the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and put them in a ward and fed them, but went not in to them. So they were shut up unto the day of their death, living in widowhood. Then said the king to Amasa, Assemble me the men of Judah within three days, and be thou here present. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he tarried longer than the set time which he had pointed him. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba the son of Bertra do us more harm than did Absalom. Take thou my, the, thy Lord's servants and pursue after him, lest he get him thin cities and escape us. And there went after him Joab's men, and the Cherethites, and the Plevethites, and the mighty men, and they went out to Jerusalem to pursue after Sheba the son of Bergerah. And when they were at the great stone which is at Gibeon, Amasa went before them. And Joab's garment that he had put on was girdled unto him. And he fastened it and upon a girdle with a sword fastened upon his loins in the sheath thereof. And as he went forth it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, Art thou in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand. So he smote him wherewith in the fifth rib, and shed out his bowels to the ground, and struck him not again. And he died. So Joab and Abishai his brother pursued after Sheba the son of Bertrai. And one of Joab's men stood by him and said, He that favoreth Joab and he that is for David, let him go after Joab. And Amasa wallowed in blood in the midst of the highway. And when the men saw that all the people stood still, he removed Amasa out of the highway into the field and cast a cloth upon him. And when he saw that every one that came by him stood still, when he removed out of the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue after Sheba the son of Bertra, and he went through all the tribes of Israel unto Abel and to Beth and all of the uh, Berites, and they were also gathered together and went also after him, and they came and besieged him in Abel of Beth and they cast up a bank against the city. And it stood in the trench, and all the people that were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. Then cried a wise woman out of the city, Hear, hear, say, I pray you unto Joab, come near hither, that I may speak with thee. And when he was come near unto her, the woman said, Art thou Joab? And he answered, I am he. And she said unto him, Hear the words of thy handmaiden. And he answered, I do hear. And she spake, saying, They... They were wont to speak in old times, saying, They shall surely ask counsel of Abel, so that they ended the matter. I am one of them that are peaceable and faithful in Israel, and thou seekest to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why wilt thou swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab and said, Far be it. Far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. The matter is not so, but a man of Mount Ephraim, Sheba the son of Bertra, by name, hath lifted up his hand against the king, even against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart the city. And the woman said unto Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown over to thee over the wall." Then the woman went to all the people in her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba the son of Bertra, and cast it out to Joab. And he blew a trumpet, and they retired from the city, every man to his tent. And Joab returned unto Jerusalem, unto the king." And with this, if you don't mind to mark the name of a man who led a revolt in this passage in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 20. And notice the name in verse number 1, Sheba. And we're going to see here what is often called Sheba's revolt or Sheba's rebellion, which is something that followed quite uh, closely after Absalom's rebellion. And we want to see the effects and the events that occur during this time of Sheba's revolt. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. <coughs> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, I'm just asking that you would just open up our eyes. This is a passage, clearly a narrative, a historical event that happened, but yet you desired to have us to learn and to be able to understand things here. I'm asking that you'd be able to be a help and be an encouragement to someone. Even today, Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we have... Repeated over and over, the book of 2 Samuel is a book of consequences. It's a book of chain of events that occurred because of one night that David had with Bathsheba. And we've traced through and saw these events and watched as they multiplied. And we come to once again another event that occurs as a direct result of one night in sin, Sheba's revolt. Sheba's rebellion. Of course we've already seen the aftermath of Absalom's rebellion and in chapter 19 we've covered in piecemeal as David returns over the Jordan River. He's met by several people. He's met by Ziba the uh, Mephibosheth who talked about Ziba the servant. We saw Brizzi. We've met all these other people who have greeted David however at the end of chapter number 19. We identify and notice that only Judah was really excited of David's return. And the rest of the tribes of Israel were not as excited that David had returned to the throne. Once again, these people were kind of curious about, look at David. David has caused all these effects. David has caused all of this. We wouldn't have Absalom's rebellion if it wasn't for David because of this. And and they're a little bit bitter and they're a little bit upset over the effects, the the consequences of David's. Instead of having years of peace that God had offered to David, they had consequences and consequences. With this, this allowed for a man to raise up a revolt during this time. The first thing I'd like to bring up to you is Sheba's revolt. Sheba's revolt. So as the dust is setting, David is approaching Jerusalem there's a man by the name of Sheba who stands up and he begins to get a crowd and says hey we didn't want David to rule us we don't want David back let's every man to his own tent forget David forget Judah we're going to do our own thing so we blew up a trumpet and tried to get a revolt and the way that it sounds is a lot more people were saying sure 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 but very few people ended up following him. But at the moment, it looked like this revolt was going to be a very bad thing. These people that hated David, people that hated his authority, people that hated these things. Well, as David came back, he took time to look upon his concubines. Remember, he had left these ladies behind for the purpose of keeping the house. He thought they would be safe, but instead because of Absalom and the and the effects of a Ahipothel, these ladies were violated. So David had to set these ladies aside and put them aside. And he had to take care of them legally. Now in the midst of this revol- revolt, we come to a second thing. And we can see Joab murders Amasa. Joab murders Amasa. Now things become a little bit interesting. Notice with me in verse number four. Then the king said to Amasa, now let's pause here, Amasa was the general of Absalom. Remember Absalom rebelled against David, the person who was carrying out the military affairs was Amasa. Amasa was also first cousin to Joab, and so he was related to David's family. But David, when he, after the Absalom rebellion, He took Amasa in and says, here, I'll still put you in charge. You worked hard for your master. You worked hard. I can trust you. And at the moment, David was not very happy with Joab. Remember what Joab had done? He killed Absalom. So David, when this rebellion occurs, he wants to keep Joab aside. Here, I'm not happy with you. You go over here, take a time out. I'll deal with you later. Let me cool down. Amasa, you're the man. You're in charge. I need you to go take care of this. So notice what he asked Amasa to do in verse number 4. Then the king said to Amasa, Assemble me, the men of Judah, within three days, and be thou here present. Now with this, it also requires us to know a little bit of history. Most nations during that time did not have a standing army. What is a standing army? A standing army is professional soldiers who are paid to be a soldier. Uh, For example, we have in the United States, we have the Air Force, we have the Marines, we have the Army. That's a standing army. People who are paid to be in the military 24-7. Most people at that time, most armies around the world had a very small standing army. What they would have to do in order to raise up troops is that they would have to ask for volunteers or conscript. Conscript is just a funny way of saying, you, you're in the army, congratulations, you are in the army. And so because they didn't have a standing army, everyone had kind of retired after the um, rebellion with um, Absalom, Amasa had the fun job of going to all the towns and cities and say, hey, we got another revolt. Who wants to join with me? Can you imagine how hard that job is? Hey, you want to go fight? "Uh, No. Well, good job. You're going to go. And he had to go try to get people to raise up his own army. And he had three days to do so. Well, with people already tired out, people have to go tend the fields. People were already away from their families. Nobody wanted to go. So this was already a hard task. So after three days, Amasa hasn't made it back. He's still trying to gather up what troops he can. David finally gets tired of this. Notice with me if you don't mind in verse number five. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he tarried longer than the set time which he appointed over them. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, the son of Bertra, do more harm than Absalom. Take thou thy Lord's servants and pursue after him, lest he get him fenced cities and escape us. So after three days, David's starting to get itchy. He's saying, oh no, we can't have another revolt. We can't have too much time pass. We need to take care of this now. Abishai, come. Of course, Abishai is the brother of Joab. He's a mighty man himself. And David said, here, take my... Army. David had his own professional army called his mighty men. These are men that David personally funded. He took care of them. They were his uh, professional soldiers, personal soldiers that were dedicated to him, and so they're referred to in the Bible as the mighty men. So, um, uh, Abishai, here, you guys take my men. You go take care of this revolt. We, uh, if Amasa shows up, we'll take care of that later. But We can't wait anymore. Abishai, go. And so they went, verse number seven, and there went after him Joab's men. So notice this. David had his men, which were known as the mighty's men. But Joab, who was a general himself, he also had some professional soldiers who were dedicated to him. They are referred to in the Bible. We'll see this in the verse number seven as the Cherethites and the Pelethites. So Abishai said, all right, Joab's men, you come with me. David's men, you come with me. We're going to go knock out this uh, rebellion quickly. So they gathered them together and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba. And in verse number eight, when they were at the great stone that was at Gibeah, Amasa went before them. So Amasa finally gathers his troops. He meets them at Gibeah and says, Hi Abishai, what are you guys doing? So he sees Abishai and Joab's troops. Amasa's coming with the conscripted farmers and the townsmen that he has with him. They kind of meet together. And here pokes the head of Joab. Now remember, Joab is put aside David says, Joab, you're not in charge. I'm putting other people inside. I put a Mesa in charge. When a Mesa didn't show up, I'm putting Abishai in charge. Joab, you kind of sit out. But Joab wasn't used to sitting out. And he decided he was going to take care of business his own way. And so Joab, who is a mighty in battle, no one messes with Joab. So Joab starts coming up, and as he does, he has his sword in his sheath. He quietly takes the sword out of his sheath and lets it fall out, so that way it's loose. Then he takes a mesa by the beard. Now, we don't do this here in this time, but it was a playful thing. It was something men did when they took their hand and they grabbed someone's beard. It was kind of a playful thing. We don't do that today. I'm sure that you don't want me to grab your beard, but to grab a hold of it, and They also, something else we don't do today, is they greeted people as custom in Europe and the Orient to greet people with a kiss. That's how they said hello. And so Joab took him by his beard and went to kiss him. And while he wasn't looking, took the sword that had fallen out and stabbed him and sliced open his guts and allowed it to fall out. And said, there! How you like it? And he cut him so deep he knew he was going to die. And left him there. Then Joab says, I'm the boss again. Let's go follow me. And so him and Abishai took off. They left poor Amesa laying there. Now Amesa's done nothing wrong other than David appointed to them. Again, Joab has murdered another person just because he wanted his own station. Don't mess with Joab. Joab will get his way. So Joab and Abishai take off. Another one of Joab's men stays there, right beside Amasa, and they watch Amasa just crawling and wallowing on the dirt, kind of help me, help, and just gurgling and just laying there. All of the troops that Amasa had gathered are just standing there, staring like, uh, "What do we do?" That was the guy who recruited us. Uh, how do we take care of this? Finally, Joab's man realized no one's going to leave until they take care of a mesa. So they throw him in the ditch, cover him with a towel, and said, All right, who's going to follow Joab? Well, no one's going to say no at this time. And so they all take off and follow after Joab. Again, what you see here is no one messes with Joab. Don't mess with Joab. He is someone you don't mess with. So now we could see Joab. You're getting a little bit more of his character. You've already watched him murder and... His way through power. He's murdered Abner. He's killed uh, Absalom outside of David's orders. Now, here's another one of his victims just because he didn't like the way that things went in there. He killed him. And now he stands outside of a city. They follow uh, Sheba to a city named Abel. Now, Sheba's forces have all dwindled out. And Sheba's hiding. Would you be hiding if you found out that Joab is after you? And so they find themselves in the city of Abel. Which is the next thing I want to show you. The wise woman of Abel. The wise woman of Abel. So Sheba comes to the city of Abel and hides. Joab comes with all of his troops. And they begin to besiege the city. Now, what the army did when they besieged the city is they surrounded it and made sure that they didn't get any deliveries. So there was no more gas deliveries, no more Walmart deliveries, no more things getting in the city or coming out of the city. What was in the city is is what stayed in the city. Then Joab started organizing the people to start crushing the walls. Let's break down the walls. Well, inside the city, they're in a panic because for the most part, they're all innocent people. They just happen to have one bad rebel inside of it. And so finally they talk among themselves and they get a wise woman of Abel and said, here, you talk to Joab. He probably won't kill you. We'll let you talk to him. And so she goes over the wall and says, Joab, Joab. Joab finally comes up and says, yeah, what do you want? Are you Joab? That's me. Joab, you know, this city used to be a place where people ask counsel at. This is a place where people, when they wanted decisions made, when they needed help deciding what they're going to do, they would come to this city, Joab. Did you know that? Hey, just listen. Well, Joab, you know what the Bible says. The Bible says that before an army surrounds a city, you need to ask the city if they'll be willing to surrender, if you could work out some peace terms. You shouldn't destroy this city without obeying the Bible. And Joab says, you know what? That's pretty interesting he says, we don't really want to destroy your city. We just want Sheba. So if you give us Sheba, we'll let you go. She goes, we'll take care of that. So she comes in and says, hey, Joab won't destroy the city if we get rid of, uh, if we give him Sheba. And so they find Sheba. Could you imagine this in your mind? Hey, Sheba, come here. They hold him down, chop off his head take his head, throw it over the wall, lands in front of Joab's feet. He picks it up and says, all right, we're done. You're good. See you later. And him and his army walk off. What's the moral of the story? Don't mess with Joab. You said, well, that doesn't help us today. We're not running after Joab. But there is something I want you to get across here. Here is a man who was hardened, who is a killer, who's a who's a murderer, who's good at his job, he is a good general. He gets the job done. He defeats his enemies. Without a doubt, Joab is good at his job. But there's one thing that you see here that even the most hardened general, the most bloodthirsty general, when he responds to wisdom, there is a road to peace. You understand there's a principle of wisdom found throughout the Bible. The Bible talks about in Proverbs chapter 8 to seek after wisdom. To look after wisdom. Do you know that when you have wisdom, you can have peace? The Bible says that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And God will not only give it to you, but he'll give it to you liberally then the Bible says, he abradeth not. That means he doesn't yell at you for asking for wisdom. You know what we lack a lot of times is wisdom. Amen. The Bible here gives a principle here. Here's Joab, who's already shown his colors. He didn't like a mesa. He killed a mesa. He's now going to destroy a whole city to get a hold of one guy. But someone was able to talk to him using wisdom. A wise woman, the Bible says. Now, remember, wisdom is something different than knowledge. Knowledge and intellect is knowing information. Wisdom is applying wisdom. We live in a world that has lots of information, but very little wisdom. But here we could see a principle that is repeated in the Bible over and over, that if we listen to wisdom, we can have peace you have a coworker that's bothering you you know what you need wisdom and how to deal with him if you're having troubles at home you know what you need wisdom and how to deal with it if you're having problems with your own feelings you know what you need wisdom and how to deal with it the bible gives us idea of wisdom and that wisdom is not just for the weak and the meek for the little widow woman Wisdom is for the most hardened general, they need wisdom. And when wisdom is applied, when wisdom is listened to, when wisdom is obeyed, it could even give peace to the most hardened people. Wisdom is something that we need. Wisdom is something that we need to seek forth. Wisdom is something we need to have. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Proverbs chapter 8. The book of Proverbs chapter 8 personifies wisdom. We understand in the Bible, the book of Corinthians applies wisdom to the Holy Spirit. That when we have the Holy Spirit, we get the wisdom we need. And here in chapter 8, Proverbs chapter 8, we have wisdom personified Notice with me, if you don't mind, in Proverbs chapter 8. And notice with me in verse number 1. uh, Proverbs 8 and verse 1. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of high places, by the way of the places of the path. She cries at the gates of the entry of the city, and the coming of the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and the voice is to the Son of Men. O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be of an understanding heart. Hear for I will speak of excellent things. And the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak forth truth. And wickedness is an abomination to my lips. And all the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth and right to them that find knowledge receive my instruction and not silver knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than rubies and all the things may be desired are not to be compared to it I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions the fear of the Lord is to hate evil Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, that's wisdom. Kings reign and princes decree justice. By me, that's wisdom. Princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me. That's wisdom. And those that seek me early shall find me. And the Bible goes on and explains this. Now again, I've already said that the Bible equivalents wisdom with the Holy Spirit. But that's what we need is wisdom. And God is willing to give us wisdom. Wisdom is what we need to have the decisions for day to day. Wisdom is what we need for our mouth. Wisdom is what we need to have understanding. Wisdom is better than gold. Better than money. To have wisdom. In fact, Solomon, many people are familiar with this. That God said, Solomon, you tell me whatever you want. I'll grant you one wish. Tell me one thing that you need. And Solomon said, I want wisdom. I need wisdom. I need wisdom. In fact, he gives this illustration. He says, I'm like a child. I don't have enough sense to get out of the rain. Have you ever seen a child outside playing in the rain and they don't realize that they should probably get in? They're out there having a good time. Sometimes that's how we are. We don't realize that the things that we're doing can harm us, can cause us problems. It's almost like a child who goes outside without a coat on a day like this. And you're like, what are you doing? Don't you have enough sense? No. Solomon says, I'm just like that. I'm just that lack of wisdom that I don't know what's best for me. I don't know what I need. And God said, that's the spirit I'm looking for. That's the spirit I can help When someone says, it's not me. I don't know what to do. God says, I can help someone like that. The problem is, is the the people that think they have everything figured out. The people that think they have all the answers. The people that say, I know what's going on here. Those people that are no longer teachable. They lack wisdom. The Bible says very clearly, I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. What does it mean to seek early? Does that mean you have to wake up at five o'clock to get wisdom? No, that's carrying the idea that as quickly as you come into a situation and you ask wisdom. Oftentimes we wait until the consequences and everything is falling apart and then say, God, I don't know what to do. If we asked God earlier, things wouldn't have fallen apart. Things wouldn't have gone so badly. We need to seek for wisdom quickly seek for wisdom early when you come into a situation immediately be saying God I need help what do I do how do I deal with this when you're battling with your mind by the way that's where the battleground is at your thought life God I don't know how to handle how I think God I don't know how to handle how I feel God I don't know know how to handle this decision God, I don't know how to handle this person, this situation. God says, you seek me early. I'll give you wisdom. One more promise, and I referenced it before, but I want you to see it for yourself in the Bible. The book of James. The book of James in chapter number one. (coughs) And... Proverbs chapter 8, we saw wisdom personified. Meaning that it's pictured as almost like a human quality. Where it says, seek me, princes who sought me. It's almost like you had wisdom in a human form. By the way, that's Jesus. That's God. But in the book of James, which is Again, a promises that we apply here in the New Testament for us and nowadays. Notice with me in James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given to him. Quite simple, the qualification you lack wisdom. I don't know what to do. And God says, that's the time you come to me. And he said, I'll give you wisdom liberally. I won't give you a small scoop. I'll give you a heaping scoop. I'll give you more than enough. And I won't even yell at you. I won't say, how come you didn't know the answer? Why are you asking this? Aren't you glad that God never yells at us for asking for wisdom? That means you could ask for God's wisdom for anything and everything and often. God, I don't know what to do. Didn't you just ask that five minutes ago? Yeah, but I still don't know what to do. God doesn't yell at us. You could ask him every five minutes. You could ask him every hour. You could ask him every day. He will never get impatient for you for asking, Lord, what do I do? Lord, what do I do? And then notice that qualification He will give it to you. Again, what do we see in the story today? That even the most hardened general, the murderer general, when he applied wisdom, when he obeyed wisdom, there was a solution and there was peace. When we don't apply wisdom, we end up knocking down the walls and hurting down a lot of people. Let's be people who ask for wisdom, and God will give us wisdom when we ask. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time